0: So we're going to be in luke chapter 2 today this is this is just a side note and there's only love and respect and value in this uh, it's confusing for our guests sometimes when we don't resume it kind of makes worship distracting to them and it can puzzle them so you know just something to think about i know you have great friends in the room but you got two minutes and uh let's make sure that we're filtering back at that time Um, because it just it represents us well and it tells our guests that they're important too Um, and if you are a guest we're so glad that you're here and thank you for coming Uh, all right so we're gonna be in luke 2 and today we're asking the question why the angels you know in studying the bible it strikes me as funny because sometimes all of the details matter you know and you're like everything points to something it creates this story this backdrop of what's happening and then sometimes you're studying the bible and all of the details are just there and you're, they're not symbols of anything. They're just, they're just pieces of the story because it's a, it's a living story. It's something that happened, and so there are details there. And so it's, it's interesting to learn the times to focus on those details and the times to realize that there's just a, a real story that's happening. And the birth of Jesus is a time where the details are really significant because this crazy thing happens in the Bible. Everything before Jesus in the Bible points to Jesus His birth, his life, his death, his resurrection. And then everything after that points back to Jesus and forward to Jesus coming again. And so Jesus is the central figure of the Bible. And and through God's word, we see that Jesus is the central figure of all of history. And so at this time, when we're talking about Jesus' birth, all of these details come together. And they matter. They're of great significance. So it's been kind of enjoyable for me. I hope it's been enjoyable for you to talk through the story of Christmas, and the details. So we talked about why did Jesus become a man, then we talked about why Joseph, and we we talked about Jesus fulfills prophecy becoming a man and demonstrates that this whole thing is of God. And then uh, Joseph demonstrates that we want to be open to receiving what the Lord has. Mary points us to godliness, which is a humble heart before the Lord that wants his will to happen. So basically we could say uh, godliness is a heart that's ready to say yes to the Lord it's a heart that's willing to say yes to the Lord. It's interesting that we can each have a predisposition of what we're going to say. We all have that in our lives anyways. When you were growing up, you may have had one parent that if you asked them first, the answer was always going to be no, right? And then you maybe had another parent that if you asked them first, the answer might have been yes, right? And so we're often that way with the Lord. We have either got a no in our heart to the Lord or a yes. But a, a godly heart is a heart that's always willing to say, yes, Lord, I'm going to pursue what you have for me. And today we're going to be talking about why the angels? Why did the Lord cause or bring about this fact of angels uh, singing and causing this to come together? Now, as we get into our text for the day, I want to bring us to the point of the, the text. So Luke 2 starts starts with the announcement of a king, a king who is actually called an emperor. And he's going to change the world and so he sends out an announcement a gospel literally a gospel went out declaring that caesar augustus is the king and this king this emperor wants all of you all of the people in his empire to go to the hometown that they were born in where they are from so that everyone can be registered for an actual good count of the citizenry of all of rome and the 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 rabble-ry too he wanted taxes from everybody not just the citizens and uh and then they were going to go there they're going to get registered they're going to pay taxes and then taxes would continue isn't that good news don't you just love april 14th every year you get to that day you just think good news i'm giving away a good percentage of my income some of us get it back uh, some of that back but but there's this moment where there's this force this announcement that the world is changing And that causes Joseph and his betrothed one, Mary, to have to travel from Nazareth in Galilee, where they were living, down to Jerusalem, and then past Jerusalem by about a couple hours walk when you're pregnant to a town called Bethlehem. And so Joseph and Mary go on about a 10-day journey, and they go through the the valley of Jezreel, which is actually also going to be the place where uh, Armageddon happens, which is pretty wild, and it's the place of all of this history. They're walking through olive groves, and that olive grove reminds you of the, the oil of anointing that gets spread on the king. So there's this journey from Nazareth down to Bethlehem, and they arrive at Bethlehem, and many of us know the story. What is going on in Bethlehem? Can they find a place to stay? No. The town is packed. It is full. Apparently, Bethlehem is a nice place to be born, but not a nice place to live later, right? Because everybody lives elsewhere, and they return to Bethlehem as adults with their families to be counted, and there's no room for everybody. And so Joseph and Mary arrive, and they can't stay anywhere, and they end up staying with the animals, in a barn or some translations say cave. Uh, Often in those early homes, they, they would have had a place for the animals to stay that they owned when it was not nice out, when it was cold. And then they would have had other places for the animals when it was nice. So it's winter. It's not nice. And so Joseph and Mary don't get to stay in the house. They have to stay in the garage, right? Uh, But that garage is a little more humble than your garage because it doesn't uh, house all of your extra goods for your house with the donkey outside. The donkey's in there with the sheep and all of those things. So it's it's a working barn, you could say. And Mary and Joseph are in that place. And it comes about that while they're in Bethlehem, that Jesus is born. And so Jesus is born in a really humble situation, not accepted, not known, by the very people he came to save. And he was wrapped in swaddling cloths, which means strips of linen that were soaked in like a a salty brine mixture. And then they wrapped the baby with that. That was common medical care then, okay? So basically, they were taking care of Jesus. But they didn't have, now in the hospitals, they've got like this cool thing that rolls in, the baby goes on that, and the diapers are all there. It's really neat. It's sort of like this rolling bassinet. There was no bassinet. And so they put Jesus in a feeding trough. Or a, a feeding sort of, what is that? I'm not a farmer. Yeah, a bin, a bin, a grain bin, right? And so there's Jesus there, and he's he's with the hay or the the grain, and and that's where they are, and so that's where the passage today starts. And so if you have your your Bible, we're going to read Luke two, uh, eight and following. It says, in the same region where shepherds were staying, out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Uh, Oh, there were, pardon me. Then an angel of the Lord stood over them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look or behold, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth, or swaddling clothes, and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to people he favors. Then the angel left them and returned to heaven. And the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and they found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child and all who heard it were amazed at what the Lord sent to them. The word of the Lord. Hey, as we continue to learn, let's take a moment and ask God to bless our time of learning and ourselves. Now, Father, we thank you for the truth of Jesus. We thank you that, that God became flesh that you look throughout history and before the foundation of the world, before you made anything, you chose this moment in time in history. You chose salvation through your son. We praise you for that. Father, we pray that in this time you would help us to put away all distractions from our minds, Lord. Our world is busy and it's filled with so much information, and we have to constantly uh, put off these things that are bombarding us. So I pray, Father, that that right now you would help us to set those things aside and to focus on you and to hear from you. We pray, God, that you would build this ability in us to guard our minds and hearts so that we can hear from you perfectly and regularly. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the, the angels and the appearance of the angels leads us to see the wonder of the Incarnation it leads us to see the wonder of the incarnation Uh, this thing angels coming around uh, when babies are being born or when the birth of babies is announced is an incredibly rare thing in the story of god through the scriptures if you're familiar you might remember the story of hagar in genesis hagar is abraham's uh, mistress or concubine if you will she was his wife's handmaiden his wife sarai was barren And so she said, hey, I'm not able to give you a son and heir, and God promised one, so let's just help God out in his promises. And so why don't you be with my handmaiden, and maybe we will receive a son and heir that way. Now, is it good for us to rush God's plans, to urge them along? Do we need to help God move his hand in our lives? No, not really. But sometimes, wouldn't you like to? Don't you just wish all of the good that you know is coming could come right now in the way that you would like it to be where you could just, hey, Lord, how about you work in this way? This makes sense to me. Well, that's what Abraham and Sarah did in that moment. And so uh, Sarah's handmaiden, Hagar, gives birth to a son. His name is Ishmael. And it causes this insane jealousy and rivalry to develop in the household because now all of a sudden the handmaiden isn't being treated like a handmaiden anymore because she's caring for the firstborn son of Abraham, and Sarah gets jealous, and she starts treating Hagar terribly, and she demands that Abraham send her and the child away. Wow, kind of a little bit of double-mindedness, right? First, hey, I've got a great idea. Let's do this. After we do the idea, that was a terrible idea. Send it away. Get rid of this idea, right? And so Hagar is out in the wilderness. She has laid her son down under a bush, and she's under another bush, and and she's waiting to die, and she's waiting for her son to die, and in that moment, an angel of the Lord comes and speaks to her and says, "You will not die. The favor of the Lord is with you. God has a future for your son." It's this really wild moment. It's the first time where we see the Lord intervene in this way in the life of a baby. It's pretty cool. Then uh, in Judges, you might remember a guy named Manoah. Who's, who remembers? Couple of you, good for you. I didn't even remember who Manoah was. I was like, "Who's Manoah?" Manoah is Samson's dad. Okay. Now, an angel of the Lord doesn't appear to Manoah. He appears to an unnamed person who is Manoah's wife. Have you ever felt that way? Yeah, I've been there. I'm a dad now. So now I'm not Chris. I'm Elijah's dad or Hezekiah's dad when I go places, right? So Manoah's wife doesn't even get a name, but she does get this distinct honor. She's the second lady in the Bible that an angel appears to. Now it says that Manoah's wife was barren. She was not having any fruit from her womb. No babies were coming. And the Lord appeared to her in the field. And he says, you're barren. Isn't it nice when angels say the obvious, right? Like, oh, thanks for noticing, oh, angel of the Lord, right? And and then he says, but you will have a child. You are going to become pregnant, but I don't want you to drink anything fermented, and I don't want you to touch or eat anything unclean. This is the will of the Lord. And so she goes to her husband, and she's like, Manoah, you wouldn't believe it, but this angel appeared to me. And then Manoah does what every good husband does. I don't believe you. Where is this guy, right? Because she actually says a man of God, right? And so then she's out in the field again and the angel appears again. She thinks he's just a man of God and he tells her again and he says, she says, hang on, I need to get my husband. And so she goes and gets Manoah and Manoah comes out and there's this chapter in Judges, there's this whole dialogue where the angel of the Lord talks with both of them and tells them about what's going to happen. It's, I think it's this incredible moment of mercy because Manoah and his wife, they're kind of in disbelief over this thing. They're, they're really testing it. They're really unsure. And so at the end of this, they say this. They said, okay, well, you just stay a while. We're going to go get a goat. We're going to have a meal. And the angel says, I cannot eat a meal with you. However, you can offer a burnt offering to the Lord, right? And then all of a sudden it's like, whoa, something's different happening. And they offer this burnt offering to the Lord. And it says that he went up into the heavens in the smoke of the offering. Can you imagine that moment in their lives? There had to be something to tell the grandkids, right? Like, like, and then you wouldn't believe this. This is this really wild moment in Judges. And then it does not happen. For centuries, there's no other angel that we have revealed as present regarding the birth of a child or the existence of a child. Now, does that mean that there's no divine presence or work in the life of humans on the earth? No, it specifically means that we're just not seeing this in the Bible. It's not revealed to us. And then things change suddenly. And there's this man named Zechariah. And he is a priest. And he's going to the temple to offer prayers and sacrifices for God's people, Israel. And in the temple, an angel appears to him, the angel Gabriel, and you all know what happens now. What does Gabriel say? You're going to have a son. Now, Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, they are too young to have babies, right? No, they're way too old. They're too old to have babies. It's like Abraham and Sarai happening all over again. And they say that Elizabeth is going to have a baby, but Zechariah doubts, right? And so the angel says, this will be a sign for you. You will not be able to speak until the child's birth. I think Elizabeth was either distraught or elated. I don't think anything in between, right? It was either the best 10 months of her life or the worst. We don't know which. We'll say it was the worst. How about that? Because we're gracious in our hearts. And so he can't speak for 10 months, but he knows that it's, the child is going to be named John, that he's going to have this incredible ministry heralding the Christ. So that's pretty cool. So God's up to something new. And then shortly thereafter, an angel appears again to whom? To Mary. Wow, wow. So, the first one is separated by generations, this double appearance. And the second one is separated by probably weeks, right? Because when Mary goes to see Elizabeth, what happens in Elizabeth's womb? John jumps. So how old, ladies, before you start to feel the baby moving? I know there's like, you get the emails, he's like, it's cashew, it's a lemon, it's an orange, it's a grapefruit, it's a butternut squash, it's a bear, you know, I don't know, but all of this information comes. Anybody tell me how many weeks before you feel the baby moving? About four months, okay, just a matter of months. So it's just a matter of months separating these two because John jumps in the womb and there's this moment of exclamation of praise, we talked about this last week, and wonder, right? And so just a little while later, An angel comes and speaks about this baby Jesus who's going to be born, but then the angel has to come back and talk to who? Joseph, because just like Manoah, (laughs) Joseph is like, I don't know about this man. It's just funny how often our lives can be filled with doubt, and then the Lord meets us in that place of doubt. I'm so grateful for that, and so the angel appears to Joseph in a dream, and he says, no, it's just like your wife says. It's just like your betrothed one says. She is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Don't fear marrying her, which is just really awesome, right? And so we have now this triple appearance. It feels like something new, something big is about to happen. And then when Jesus is born, it's confirmed. Because when Jesus is born, an angel comes. And the angel doesn't just come to the family that's receiving this child. This angel appears to the shepherds in the field. There should be these bells going off in our mind. God is up to something new. God is changing things. Things are going to be different from here because we've, we've never seen the Lord work this way before. Never in all of history has he highlighted the birth of one person so much as God is highlighting this very important birth. God is up to something wonderful and God is up to something new. You know, I know that sometimes Christians can get really kind of bah humbug about the Christmas season because there's so much hype that happens and and so much commercialism has crept in. But but that commercialism is actually taking advantage of hype that God has created, uh, of energy and goodness that God has put into this story and this season because this season is supposed to be filled with a sense of holy anticipation and awe and wonder I want you to go back the The weeks or the the months or the decades, whatever it takes to get back to that place of childhood where when you see the Christmas tree go up that there's something igniting inside of you. When you see the presents start to be wrapped and put under the tree, there's a sense of hope and wonder and joy that when you you wake up that Christmas morning, there's this, this thing inside that says this is a special day like no other day because all of those things are supposed to point in our hearts to the wonder and the Awe and the goodness of Jesus. You know, C.S. Lewis says it like this: if my heart is made to love, there must be something out there that is only lovely. If my heart is made to wonder, there must be something out there that is completely wonderful. And what he's doing is he's bringing us to this place where we can see that we can see that there must be a divine one out there, that all of these deep desires and feelings of our heart that every human has points to. And I think the Christmas story is a good model of that, that when we see this story coming about, the wonder and the awe and the joy is pointing to someone who has created this for you. You were made to experience wonder and awe and joy. I'm not the first person who said this, but I believe it's true nonetheless. Each human being is created to worship. Every human is created to worship. Just like you were created to breathe, you were created to worship. And you were specifically created to worship God. You were specifically created to know God and worship God. And in the coming of Christ, what we see is the doorway opening for every person to be able to know the Lord and find the Lord and come to the Lord through Jesus, so this true worship might be restored. Now, some people doubt this idea that every human is made to worship, but the reality is that every human heart exhibits worship from the time it's born to the time that it dies. What does a baby worship? Mom, and then eventually what does the baby worship? self, right? Really quickly announcing self over all others. No, mom, not your will be done, my will be done, right? Like I will be the king of this crib. This crib, right? Like I want to rule everything. And then the baby realizes it fits into this larger system, but we get so excited about things. Have you ever had somebody come and tell you about their new cell phone or their new car or their new pair of shoes or their new relationship? right? Or the new computer virus that they got. We get excited about stuff and we want to tell people about the things going on in our lives and this proclamation of what's happening is actually a form of worship. We're made to tell somebody about it. We're made to be reporters and repeaters of the things that we find. And so this appearance of the angels leads us to wonder in the incarnation. The appearance of the angels happens to these shepherds who were staying out in the fields keeping watch at night over their flock they were in the winter they were tented up on a hill and an angel of the lord appears and stands before them and the glory of the lord shone around them and they were terrified it's a awesome and terrible thing to see the splendor of the lord when we talk about God doing a new thing, we need to remember that this new thing changed the way that all humans would relate to God. If you've read the book of Exodus, you might remember in Exodus 19, in fact, we just did the Exodus series last summer, in Exodus 19, when Moses was receiving the 10 words, the Decalogue, the 10 commandments, he went up on the mountain, and the people were to approach the mountain, but not touch it. And when Moses went up on the mountain, the Lord was going to descend in clouds and smoke and then he would speak through lightning and thunder. Wow. And the people, if they touched the mountain, they were going to die or be put to death. The text is unclear. But the Lord is holy. The Lord is unapproachable. The Lord judges sin and kills sinners. That seems harsh to us, doesn't it? We don't like that. In fact, often what we don't realize is that that God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament because of this program change because of the flip that happens between pre-Jesus and post-Jesus. See the law came through Moses, this pronouncement of what you do wrong, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so we're used to grace, but the same God who gives grace is the same God who gives the law. Because the law is boundaries, and boundaries for our good. And in grace, are there boundaries? That's why it comes with truth. There's there's boundaries for our good. But before Jesus, God was unapproachable and holy. Every time you see someone in the Old Testament encounter God, basically they say, oh crud, I'm about to die. It's what they assume. I am seeing God. I must be terrible. I am going to die. Because they realize that really, like, Moses and Joshua are the only two who have seen God face to face and lived. So two out of millions, it's probably not your day to live when you see the Lord, right? And so they're terrified. They're terrified in the presence of the Lord. But this, this terror, in a way, is, is a form of awe. And the, the angel leads them to that even more. He says, but the angel of the Lord said to them, don't be afraid. For behold, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people this good news of great joy is for all people if you've heard the story of christmas told in church before you've probably heard someone say something like god's angel appeared to the shepherds so that he would be demonstrating that there's good news for everybody you've probably heard somebody say like shepherds were very low on the socio-economic totem pole of life in first century israel Their testimony wasn't allowed in court. They were sort of considered ruffians and scallywags. They they were not the people who you brought home to dinner for Hanukkah, you know? Like, this this wasn't the group of people who you thought God's favor rested on, and then God's favor is announced to them. And it's this demonstration, this tangible demonstration, that grace is for all, and then grace is announced for all. Uh, This is pretty wild to them personally. Because they are not people who are thought to receive the Lord's favor. I love encountering people who are convinced that if they walk through the church doors that the building's going to fall down or burn around them or that they're going to fall dead. Because I'm like, God doesn't work that way. Like, he sent his son to, to die for you and to save you, and he has favor and grace towards you. Isn't it awesome that we get to be like this angel and announce the favor and grace of God to others? It's important that we, when we encounter people who we don't personally have natural grace towards that we allow god's divine grace to flow out of us towards them the holy spirit is in you if you believe in jesus and that grace is a divine product in your life and you have that in you through him and you can express that through others not naturally but supernaturally not of your own strength but with the strength of the lord which means that grace doesn't come across oddly. It comes across powerfully and beautifully towards them like it does here. The angel continues, Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find him, you will find the baby, wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Now, as I said before, wrapped tightly in cloth, that was normal. That's where you'd expect to find the baby. But this idea of, Putting your baby in a manger, that's pretty incredible. That's a very unique sign. Uh, Firstborn mothers, are they rather protective of the child? Just a little bit, right? They're they're slow to put that baby in the hands of dad sometimes, right? And And then she puts the baby in the manger. This is an incredible spectacle that we're seeing happening here. There's a specific sign that is given. Then it's really wild because the heavenly host accompany. The announcement of the Savior with awe-inspiring, wonder-filled praise. The text said, suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying this. Now before we go to what they say, when you set up your nativity scene at home, how many angels are there? It's like a small group, right? Maybe you got one, maybe you got three. I've seen like five, far short of what's going on here. Okay, multitude means a large group. Elsewhere in the Bible, it says that Christ's death paid for the multitude of sins. How much is that? All of them. It says in Acts 15, the multitude of the believers were gathered together. How many of the believers is that? A lot of the, all all of the believers. The biggest part of the group. So when we say a multitude of hosts appeared in the heavens in that moment, what do you think that was like? Wow! Wow! Have you ever gone to one of these houses that's like the huge Christmas setup? And they've got like the music-coordinated lights. And It's gotten a little easier now with computers, but, but it's really splendid, isn't it? I mean, it's really magnificent. There's a multitude of lights. I think that the angels appearing would have made all of these houses look like a Charlie Brown Christmas tree. Can you imagine hundreds or thousands of angels appearing in the night? There was just a little opening for the one angel and then all of a sudden everywhere around them there's a heavenly host singing and proclaiming and praising God. And they say this, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. Wow. Glory to God in the highest heaven. This is astounding. I I said that like three times before Jesus was born angels announced the the coming of a child or protected a child, right? But there's no other time in history where a heavenly host chorus appears in the heavens, praising the Lord for the birth of a child. This is an incredibly unique moment. Jesus is not just a special baby. He's not like anyone before. He is the Lord of hosts. He's not just a judge or a deliverer. He's not just one who's going to bring us into a new way of knowing God. He is God himself, wrapped in the flesh. When I say Lord of hosts, I mean that he led the Lord's armies. Okay? This baby, throughout eternity, has led the armies of the Lord. Remember what Jesus told Pilate? I think it was Pilate. I should have read this. I read so many other places in the Bible. Uh, But but as Jesus is dying, he says that if I wanted to, I could call 12 angel uh, legions, legions of angels to come and rescue me. Do you know how many angels that is? There are about 5,000 soldiers in a legion. So Jesus is saying, if I just said the word, 60,000 angels would be right here delivering me from all of Can you imagine that much power being vested in one person? That's huge. One angel destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah in a day. 60,000 angels? No problem. We could could vacuum the earth of everything that's wrong in about a half a second with 60,000 angels. This is an incredible amount of power in one being. And this one being decides to become one baby. One baby helpless baby, submitting himself to humanity, becoming one like us. You know, it, it's significant that we tell this story every year, but part of the problem with going to this story every year is that it can become incredibly familiar. Now, do you remember being a newlywed? How special was that first day waking up to your wife or husband did the sunrise compare to them nope nothing compared to them you fast forward 10 years is it still as shiny is the luster still there or is it maybe familiar are there things that have gotten in the way of the brilliance of that love you know, often as familiarity comes in we value things less we appreciate them in descending amounts if you haven't gotten married yet i got to tell you that morning after you get married you're you're waking up to like one of the best days of your life you're just realizing that so many hopes and dreams have come to this point and so much good is going to proceed from there so much fruit is going to come in your life if you're if you're building that marriage on the lord it's powerful and incredible and it's such a good thing this moment in history is greater than all marriages combined this moment in history is changing everything And we need to not forget it. And we need to not let ourselves fall out of love with this Savior who exited heaven and came to us. The end of Isaiah, in Isaiah 64, the prophet is praying because he's seeing the wickedness on the earth and he's seeing the goodness that the Lord wants to do. And he prays, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down and shake the earth with your glory. And in this moment right here, God is rending the heavens. And he's coming down. And his glory is going to shake the earth literally and spiritually remember what happened to the earth when jesus died the earth shook god shook the earth with his sons and it's important that you also are shaken by the lord that you get shook because of the Lord's work in your life, because of this moment where Jesus is coming into our lives, where the angels are proclaiming glory to God in the highest of heaven, and his peace is available on earth to people on whom his favor rests. That's you, by the way. His favor rests on you. The shepherds were available to respond to God's wonderful splendor. The shepherds were available to respond to God's wonderful splendor. It says, When the angels left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Are you available to respond to the Lord's splendor, His majesty, His wonder? We live so distracted. We are so incredibly busy. Busy is a positive term in our culture, and I don't want to attack the concept of busy but at the same time, sometimes our busy and our desire to be busy doing things that feel good drive us. And they kind of drive us to our limits. And most people I know have very little margin, myself isn't included. So often I have to say to myself, I don't have time for that, and I don't, I don't have time for that, and I can't do that, because I have so many other things to do. And I know that there are days that the Lord has interrupted my day, and I've had to decide if I have time To respond to the Lord in that moment. I have to decide if I have time to say no to these other things to say yes to the Jesus thing. Now I'm like most people and that means that sometimes if I'm really honest my pre-planned activities don't allow for a commercial interruption. We're not getting a break to hear from the sponsor of Chris's life because he has too many things to do and you're probably like me in that where you have a lot going on and sometimes you don't have the ability to stop yourself and make yourself pursue the Lord's splendor and majesty. You know, some days, sadly, my quiet time in the morning and my little bit of prayer at the end of the day is genuinely the real estate the Lord gets in my heart. It's not because I'm not God's servant. It's because I've got things that I need to get done that day, and people that I need to talk to that day. Quite frankly, a lot of those things are from the Lord. But in that busyness, my heart is not always resting in the Lord. And I'm learning again in this season personally to let my heart rest in the Lord in all of those activities, to make myself available in those moments to respond to his splendor and his awe. How many of you saw one of the sunrises this week? I don't think I've ever seen colors in the sky like I saw this week. I've seen a lot of sunrises, but man, that sun over the bay and through those trees, there were blues and purples I've never seen. There was this glistening orange through the clouds. It was like God's heavens were declaring his glory, shouting it to me. I couldn't just help and do what the Psalms say and pause and praise the Lord in that moment. Anybody see the sunset last night? Holy cow, it was glorious! I expected the heavens were going to tear the sky open. I was just like, it doesn't get any better than this. And it's, it's December. It's not January yet. We're supposed to have rain and gloom right now. And it was just awesome and wonderful. And then there were these times this week where I, I would see someone that I knew or someone that I didn't know. And, and I would be reminded, this is God's human in front of me. He knit them together. Their personality is unique They're created unto him and for him. I am encountering the peak of God's creation in this person. They're fearfully and wonderfully made. Isn't that awesome? Everywhere we go, everywhere we go, we see God's handiwork. And yet we are often too busy to notice. I was thinking about it this week. And this is what happens in adult minds. As soon as we can understand it well enough to explain it, It no longer has mystery to us. Have you ever watched a magic show and then gone home and researched what happened in that magic show? How did they do that? And then you figure out the act, and then what happens to the act in your mind? Gets real small, right? Because you figured out how to make the illusion happen. Now, can you do it yet? Absolutely not. In fact, as hard as I've tried, I've never been able to pull off a card trick in my life. I'm terrible at sleight of hand. I don't do illusion. I don't lie well. What you see is what you get from Chris Garrison, right? But as soon as I can explain it, I feel like I'm greater than it. Now, as you've grown, have you begun to understand the world more and more? Remember when you learned about photosynthesis and why the leaves are green, and what's happening inside of those leaves, and how they're taking sunlight and the stuff they get from the soil, and they're turning it into life. And you remember how awesome it was in that moment? Maybe you're not as nerdy as me, but I remember seeing this, and I was like, this is incredible. Plants make life from light? Wow, I have to eat cheeseburgers. They just lay out in the sun all day and they get so big and strong and they live longer than us. I can't believe this. And then once a year, it's like they're dying. They lose their life and then somehow they come back again. Isn't this incredible? But I've been through a lot of springs and summers and falls and winters and I see these things happening and I go, that's nice, they're making chlorophyll. (laughs) And I lose my sense of wonder and awe my heart becomes less available to worship the Lord. These shepherds provide a model for us. God does something, and what do they do? They instantly respond. They instantly respond to what God is doing. Have you been training your heart to instantly respond to what the Lord is doing? You know, you can do that. You might be like me, realizing I'm kind of slow and crunchy when it comes to following the Lord and worship in this way, But I can promise you this, if if you make today a day where you choose and you say, Lord, I would like to respond to you more. I would like to see you and I'd like to be amazed by you. I'd like to be found in awe of you. Would you show yourself to me more and help me to respond to you that this worship muscle in your body will grow greater and will grow stronger? And man, I got to tell you, I love it when my worship muscle, muscle is activated. I love it when there's a deep response in my heart to the Lord and what he's doing. In that moment, I know life, and I know joy, and I know goodness, and I know wonder more deeply than in other times, and it fuels me. In 2 Corinthians, Paul tells the Corinthian church that God's glory is their spiritual fuel. It's their spiritual food, and the, the concept of God's glory is God's revelation. The New Testament word for glory is the word for light. And what does light do? Light reveals. Light shows. Light shows up in the darkness and it's not diminished. So the shepherds leave. Do you know what worship is at its heart? Worship is response. And it's specifically response to the actions and character of the Lord. Worship is a response to the Lord. You know, so often we talk about worship like this, what the team leads us in. And thank you, team, for leading us each week. I I so appreciate that. That takes so much courage and, and love for us to leave those comfortable chairs and to lead us, spoiled, critical Americans who are used to everything so perfectly. Thank you for leading us. It's a gift. But worship is so much more than this. Worship is every moment in your life that you are responding to God's character and God's actions in your life. This is why Romans 12:1 can say, live your life as a living sacrifice to the Lord because this is your true and appropriate act of spiritual worship. This is how you worship God, that everything in your life would respond to him, that every day would be for him, that every breath would be for him, that you live a life in response to the Lord. So the foundation of worship god who he is and what he has done because of who he is we see that foundation so clearly in jesus it says that he is the exact representation of god's being in jesus the fullness of god dwelt bodily he represents the lord and we can know him through christ our worship is a response to the actions and character of the lord and so the shepherds they hurried off and they found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Now what happens next is incredible and it shows us this truth. Your worship is a powerful testimony to others. Your worship is a powerful testimony to others. Now remember worship isn't just this. But well, by the way this when you're singing in church it blesses your brothers and sisters. My kids love to sit in the front row. At six foot three or four, whatever I am, I don't like standing in the front row because I basically, I'm a human screen. And if I'm not just doing this, the screen is bigger, right? Like, and, and I just don't like that idea of blocking people. My kids wanna be front and center. Uh, one time when they were really little, I said, no, we're gonna sit in the back. I'm, I'm tired of this, I don't like this. And during worship, my son, my five-year-old, grabbed my arm and he goes, Dad, do we have to stand here again? This view stinks. I was like, what are you talking about? So then I knelt down by him, and I realized that he's like the midget in the elevator, and I was like, oh, you can't see anything happening on the stage. All you see is people's backsides, and you want to be able to experience what's happening. and We will be in the front row for the rest of your life until you say no, right? If that's what it takes for you to encounter the Lord, that's where we're going to be. But Going back to the the moment here, your worship is a a powerful testimony to others. It it demonstrates what's going on in your heart. And and it is like a a billboard of what God has done and who God is. It says, after seeing them, the shepherds reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Wow. All who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So the shepherds come, and they're carrying this testimony of angels, of an announcement of the birth of a savior, of this promise of a sign, a child wrapped in swaddling cloths and laid in a manger. And then they show up to town, and they're making a ruckus because a good shepherd isn't gonna leave his sheep out there on the field, and they're looking for a baby in a manger. And they find him. There's great noise in Bethlehem that night, and it's noise of a Savior being born, and everyone hears it, and they're amazed by what the Lord has done. Do you realize the power of your testimony is life-saving power? It really is. Your testimony is unique and beautiful. Your testimony of putting your faith in the Lord is a display of the gospel. The Apostle Paul writes to the Roman Church, and he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God for salvation, both to the saved and the perishing. Your testimony has the power of God for salvation in it. Your testimony, not just Pastor Chris's testimony, your testimony. Do you realize that your testimony is more powerful than mine? I'm a paid provider of the testimony. I'm the guy giving the infomercial for the Slap Chop. You're the user of the Slap Chop. You'll either love it and tell everybody about it, or you'll sell it at your next garage sale for 50 cents. That price tag on that Slap Chop tells people what it's worth. You are the ones who are the living product demonstration. You are the ones who put Jesus on display in the way you live your life of worship And so you need to be filled with awe and wonder and goodness and praising God's power for what He has done in you. Now, I, I don't want this to be a shame moment or a heavy mantle over you. What I want you to realize is there's this power of God in you because of your faith in Him, and that power is the gospel and you have the opportunity to share it with others. You have the opportunity to be the shepherd to people in your life. And I would encourage you to be prayerfully waiting on the Lord for those opportunities. But you know what? We're just like Paul. We need boldness in those opportunities. Paul doesn't pray for opportunities because Jesus says, behold, the fields are white with harvest. You know, we, we so often complain, no one loves the Lord around us. Well, Jesus says those fields are white with harvest. They're ready to hear the gospel. You have neighbors who don't know. You need boldness and wisdom to proclaim. And so ask God for boldness. Ask God for wisdom. Practice on your husband or your kids or your friend who is saved. Hey, I want you to hear my testimony. I need to practice getting this out there because too often I've been afraid of sharing it but my pastor just told me it's the power of God for salvation in other people's lives and that I get to be like the shepherds, worshiping God with my, word, God with my words. It is so powerful to humbly share your testimony. I, I love encountering people who are in the place I was right before I got saved. I love being able to say to them, man, I was lost and hurting just like you were. Personally, I was wondering if my life was worth living. And I was considering taking that exit from the highway of life. And then the Lord encountered me. And someone told me that Jesus died for my sins. And that I was accepted by faith in him. That God would accept me. And it blew my mind. And Jesus transformed me. And let me tell you about some of that. And I I just share my testimony. And I can see in them that the hope that I have found is contagious. I can see in them that the awe that I discovered that day is causing wonder in them. Could this be true for me too? See this sharing of the story is powerful and the shepherds demonstrate that your worship is a powerful testimony to others. All who were amazed at what this all who heard were amazed at what the shepherds said to him, them. The angels show us the wonder and the awe of the birth of Jesus the Lord of hosts but do you see the wonder are you filled with awe or are you too busy or has it become too familiar or are you too distracted in your heart from things that are weighing you down or have you forgotten the power of the message and the absolute uniqueness of this story of salvation have you forgotten what the Lord has done in your life if you're in any of those categories. The Lord can work in you today. You can ask him to open up your heart in new ways. You can confess to the Lord, Lord, I have not worshiped you deeply in my heart in weeks or months or whatever it's been because I don't see you the way that I used to. Help me to see you in new ways. Fill me with awe again. Lord, Lord I, I don't share this worship with others. I've become convinced that my worship is private and that it's just for me, but, but you say that my worship is a testimony. Help me to see that my life is a testimony to other people. Help me to know that the way I worship and the way I live makes a difference to those around me, Lord. And Lord, ease the pressure of that. Help it to just flow naturally through me by being a person who worships you at the start of each day and throughout each day. God wants to ignite your life with powerful worship. Look at the way he put on display the birth of his son. He wasn't hiding it. It happened in the middle of nowhere, but he made a heavenly billboard. Hundreds and thousands of angels appeared. He wants his glory to go forward. And he wants that glory to go forward through you and your life by filling you with this wonder and awe at his glory. Let's pray that the Lord would wake up our hearts to see his glory, and to glorify him with the moments that we have in our lives. Father, thank you for this story of these angels coming on display. Father, so often we forget the power that is within Jesus. Often at Christmas we see this baby, this gift, and and it feels homey and cozy and warm, but the reality is you came to earth, Lord. The Lord of hosts was born as a child power and glory as never seen before will come through jesus god and and that's in our lives so we pray father that you would help us to see you with new eyes that our hearts and minds would behold you and the salvation that you have given us in greater ways lord we pray that you would ignite us with new passions that you would help us to see the power of the gospel for us and for others We thank you for the gift of worship. We thank you for the gift of awe. And we pray that you would grow us in receiving that and proclaiming that to others. It's in the name of our Savior, the Lord of hosts, that we pray. Amen.